Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share the latest information and leading-edge thoughts to support the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring preparing for an uncertain future. There used to be a fairly effective formula for education and preparation to enter the workforce. One would start by researching what was in one, within one's aptitude and budget, then select the careers that made the most money choose the least of the evils, and get as much education as could be afforded to compete for the position. Now, as we find ourselves in times of rapid disruption and change, this approach is increasingly ineffective. What's available and lucrative today is often obsolete or taken over by computers before one's finished training for the position. It would appear we need a new formula, as everything is in a state of flux, while we evolve from one reality to the next, leaving the future uncertain. Where can we find guidance when the old formulas fail? What's the future of the workplace? Where can we find education for the future? Is anything we choose to do destined to become obsolete as technology advances replace human workers? Our guest this hour, Heather McGowan, may have some useful guidance for us. Heather is an innovative strategist, internationally known speaker, thought leader, and author of Disrupt Together, How Teams Can Consistently Innovate. McGowan prepares leaders to most effectively react to rapid disruptive changes in their education, work, and society. Recognizing that business innovation begins with education, specifically learning faster than your competition, she's worked with university presidents in cooperation to prepare people for jobs that do not yet exist. She was the strategic architect of Canbar College Design, Engineering, and Commerce at Philadelphia University, the first undergraduate college explicitly focused on innovation. At Becker College, she crafted the Agile Mindset Learning Framework used to prepare students to work in an uncertain future. Her website, futureislearning.com. Heather, thanks so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Well, thank you so much for having me today. 
It would appear things are changing more rapidly than ever before. What do you attribute this to? Well, there are three things happening at once, and I'm going to borrow from my friend, uh, New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, to explain it. He says we're going through three simultaneous climate changes at once. First is the climate of technology, which is driven by Moore's law. So things are moving from linear change to exponential change, which means that computers can do more and more things for us. Anything mentally routine or predictable will soon be able to be achieved by an algorithm. The second climate change we're going through is the climate of the market. And that's where we're, where globalization goes from connected to interconnected to interdependent, where your enemies falling is is as important as your as your friends rising. We're in a, a, a networked global society where we're connected in a way we never have been before. And the third change is the climate of the climate, and that is biodiversity loss, population growth and uh, climate change, where we don't have the opportunity to do something later. If you were going to fix that lake, save that species, there's no, mo- there's no longer a later. So those three things simultaneously together are accelerating change in a way we've never seen in humankind before. Looks like we're between a rock and a hard place. It, that's one way to look at it. Um, I'm a short-term optimist. I'm a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. I'm a short-term pessimist because I feel like we're not adapting quickly enough to the fact that we're moving from the third industrial revolution to the fourth industrial revolution, and that's that may come at our peril in the short term. But in the long term, I think we have the potential. We have the possibility of unleashing the potential of humanity in a way we've never seen before. If you just look in my lifetime, I'm 47 years old. We've um, dramatically reduced world hunger. We've dramatically increased um, literacy. And for the short period of time, the 25 or so years we've had an internet, we've connected more than half the globe. So we're moving things in the right direction. We just have to sort of reprioritize what humans do. Well, you you said something that confused me a little bit um, I'd like to revisit, and that was um, importance of seeing our our friends rise and our enemies fall. What was that relating to? That that our economies are connected in a way they haven't been before. So it used to be, you know, like if China is not our our, our, um, closest partner, if China fails, that's okay. But now if China fails, we fail. We're connected in our economies are connected and interdependent in a way they've never been before. So it's like we're increasingly having no um, choice but to uh, support each other versus compete. Yeah, and I think that's good. I do too. I, I'm with you there. So when choosing a career, it used to be fairly reliable to look what's, to what's worked in the past, compare yeah. it with what's available in the present, and apply it to the future. Why isn't that working anymore? That's not working anymore because one of the things that I that I tell people when I when I speak is that the first thing we ask little kids is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then if you're speaking to a, somebody who's in college or university, we ask them what their major is. And then if we meet each other at a cocktail party, the first thing we ask each other is, what do you do? <clears throat> and that calcifies your identity, cements it at a moment in time around your applications of skills and knowledge. And that worked fine when things changed very slowly. It wasn't that long ago that our last name was also our occupation, Smith, Baker, Carpenter. Um, and now we're moving into a period of time where we may have 16, 17 different jobs across five different industries in what is a much longer career arc. So we have to think very differently. We can't pick a job that we see today. We have to identify what our passion and purpose are, what things we're good at, and have what I call an agile learning mindset, which is the ability to take those um, aptitudes fueled by the 
passion and apply it to new things as situations change. So that's kind of backwards of what we do now. Um, now we identify with our job, which cements it in place. And when we lose it, it's absolutely devastating. But what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is to identify with your aptitude, not the job you've chosen. Exactly. And and to just to revisit the point you just made, there was a study that came out recently that if you lost your primary relationship, it would take you, you know, two to three years maybe to rebound from that from that devastating loss. If you lost your job, it would take you more like five or six years to recover from that because you've lost your entire identity. And so that's why I think it's so dangerous that we're we're pushing so much towards an identity that may not at all be realistic. So you're exactly right. We need to flip it on its head. Let's start with what intrinsically motivates you. What are you interested in? What are you good at? What kinds of things do you like to do? Now let's shape that towards opportunities as they emerge. I like I like that as they emerge, which yep. ind- indicates we're we're moving towards uh, what's coming up versus clinging to what is uh, dying in in the dust. There, right? Right, and our organizational structures aren't ready for it. Whether it's in companies because we still um, we still search for talent based upon people who've done things before, but if. The analogy one of my uh, co-authors, Chris Shipley, and I use is, is we're in a moonshot place right now. When we put the first man on the moon, we couldn't um, search for an experienced moonwalker. <laughs> you know, we had to go look for people who had passion, skills, and aptitudes across different disciplines. We didn't, and we had to look for the problems as the and the answers at the same time. We were searching new frontiers, and that's very much what work's going to be like. And our systems of learning have been codifying and transferring predetermined skills and existing knowledge to create a deployable workforce based upon jobs we'd identified a decade or so earlier. That doesn't work anymore either. I can see how it wasn't. So we're all going to have to be moonwalkers, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> how, how do you find aptitude? You know, what's, what's the best approach? Say I'm, okay, well, what's my aptitude? What, how do you do that? Well, I think you do it a lot through uh, play when you're younger. Uh, what kind of games do you like to play? What kinds of uh, subject matters might you be interested in? What kinds of questions do you like to ask? What things do you like to explore? And then figuring out through that things you might be good at. I mean, there's certainly, you know, there, there's a role for traditional cognitive intelligence, but there's a role for emotional intelligence. There's a role for cognitive preferences. There's a role for learning styles. Lots of ways that if you boil it all up to the end, it's really about developing a higher level of self-awareness about how you contribute to a situation or a team and figuring out where you play best and, and finding situations that will allow you to play to those strengths. It sounds like imagination might have a lot to play in this. Absolutely. Actually, the focus of the, the kind of concept around an agile learning mindset is to focus on our uniquely human skills. The things that are really hard to put into an algorithm, which is, you know, creativity, collaboration, communication, empathy, social emotional intelligence, and imagination, certainly. So if we can imagine, like children, they use their imagination to make their make-believe and do their games, and that in itself can start pointing towards aptitude? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. So what kinds of things do you envision? What kinds of, because those are the kinds of things that, that are going to be the, at the forefront of the future. Anything that's mentally routine or predictable, anything that you can say, if this, then that, that can be achieved by an algorithm. But we spent, if you look at how much of our schooling is focused on those kinds of finding the right answers as opposed to finding the interesting questions. Yeah, I find that we're just about out of time for this segment. But I find that very interesting that we're taught to take the events of the past uh, superimpose them on the present and expect a rerun in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, if we look, take a longer arc and we start looking at trends, I think then we have an opportunity to say, what's in common here? What could happen in the future? And that's not about finding the right answer. It's about finding the interesting questions. And, and that is an algorithm cannot do. Right. We can hope it forever remains, right? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have to take a commercial break. This is just getting interesting, though, so don't you folks go away, because Heather and I will return shortly. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, and our website is missionevolution.org, and we're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You stay right there. There's more fun to come. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games, no need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on xzbn.net where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. By applying divergent viewpoints to leading-edge topics, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truth to assist you on your path to enlightenment. More information and past episodes are available at missionevolution.org. 
Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To stay abreast of all the wonderful information and tools we have, visit our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Heather McGowan. Her website, futureislearning.com. Heather, you speak of a career trajectory. What is that? Well, we once had a career ladder where you, where you're, whether you went to undergraduate degree or not. So if you went to undergraduate degree, you stepped on the ladder right, right as you finished that schooling, or maybe you started um, right out of high school or you went to a trade school or something. But that used to look like an escalator or a set of stairs, and you rode it up until a point in which you retired, and then you died a year and a half later. That was by design, so that you had a pension that would, would uh, satisfy the amount of time you were not working. Now, the, if you look at it, the change rate is faster, the lifespan is longer, and the career arc is no longer an escalator. It's more like a web. I've also heard it referred to as like a rock climb, where you get to one peak and then you have to reassess how you're going to climb to the next one, which may be up or across. So it's a very different way of looking at how you stitch together what it will be a career. Um, Research by the Foundation for Young Australians, which I think does the best uh, research in terms of what the developed world will experience, has looked at data from World Economic Forum to McKinsey and says that uh, a young person graduating today or a young person today entering the workforce will have upwards of 16 jobs across five different industries. How you prepare for that is entirely different than the way we're currently doing it. How do you prepare for that? You prepare for that by trying to figure out what your purpose and passion are. So what is it that drives you? Because if you're going to have to learn and adapt for life, you better connect to what intrinsically drives you because it's no longer about somebody telling you what to do. It's about you figuring out where you can add value. So it's it's uh, starts with purpose and passion. Uh, it's a capabilities and assessment, sort of an inventory of what your strengths or superpowers are and how you add to them over the course of your career. And it's uh, understanding how you create value. So I think everybody needs to understand some aspect of business. And I don't mean business like finance and accounting or marketing, more like business models. How does an entity create value? How do you add value to an entity? So I think some form of business education should be part or entrepreneurial education should be part of everybody's uh, foundational education. And from there, those that's your toolkit to be your kind of North Star searchlight life raft, your handrail to the future. You know, we've been, our old school system, I'd like to call it that, has kind of conditioned us to be cookie cutters. So you're ha- talking, we're going to have to turn this whole thing around. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's a factory pipeline model. Our systems of education were developed and have not changed all that much from when we were making, uh, we were trying to turn farm workers into factory workers. It's very much a production line where we stamp out widgets. And our kindergarten, I mean, our K-12 system is really a sorting process to sort of figure out who's got, who's got the potential for higher education. Our high school system is, is, a, is a process of preparing you for higher education. And then higher education becomes uh, just a linear shoot to your first job, which is increasingly absurd if you're going to have 16 of them across five different industries. So the whole system, in my view, is, is broken. It seems like there's no space within the system for original thought or original thinking. No, because we wanted to prove learning. And, the, and one of the ways that we prove learning through standardized tests is to, 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 to push people all to find the right answers. And in that process, we remove all the time we needed for music and arts and physical education and the things we really need as humans. 
And there are many systems are now looking at putting that stuff back in. I would hope. I would hope. Otherwise, we're just computers and we're going to be surplused. Yeah. I mean, if you look at what we've done in education in the last couple of decades and you look at what um, technology capabilities have become, we've become more and more machine-like and machines are becoming more and more human-like. And we've pushed ourselves to a point where we're competing with them at our peril. How can, we, um, how can education evolve to keep up with this rapidly changing career landscape? It needs to stop chasing that codifying and transfer of skill sets. There are certainly areas in which you're going to have to need foundational stuff. If you're going to be an engineer or a nurse, those positions are going to still exist, and there's some foundational knowledge that will exist there. But there's still an opportunity for more development of, of uniquely human skills, which we've put completely from, from ki after kindergarten. We stopped revisiting those. If you look at what we do in kindergarten or in Montessori schools, if you look the leaders of um, Google, Facebook, and I think it was Wikipedia, they all went to Montessori school. I don't think there's a mistake there. How interesting. What does Montessori do that's different than the rest? Um, it's based on inquiry-based learning. It's about following your own curiosity and finding out what interests you and exploring, learning through play, learning through making. Um, and it's a lot of those things that really exist in kindergarten, but can exist if you think about school more like a lab or a studio. What institutions are currently addressing the changes needed for education to serve the future needs of, our, of their students? Um, there are a handful. There aren't enough. I would hope more people experiment. I think what's interesting at the K-12 level, what the Khan Lab School is doing, the Khan Lab School is the folks that came up with Khan Academy. They said, okay, we've made this online version of, of access to content and access to learning that's, that's excellent for online learning. But if we were going to make a face-to-face -face school and if we were to start with kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, I think they're up to sixth grade, what would it look like? And they've created a school where students are organized not by their age, but by their independence level. Everybody has to both learn and teach. So if you're good at math, then you'll teach other kids math while you're learning social studies from somebody else. Um, everybody moves through competencies as opposed to seat time. And everybody has a passion project. And that, to me, is a great foundation for the future we're looking for. Um, go ahead. I've, I've seen this model. Um, I'm a um, secondary black belt in taekwondo and an international instructor. And that model is within the teaching method, the circular teaching method um, within taekwondo. It's, it's, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're wearing a red belt and somebody else is on a white belt, they're sir, even if you're 10 and the other guy's 90, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's just amazing the community it builds. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn more when you have the ability to teach it to somebody else. So it reinforces your own learning and your own understanding. And it, go ahead. It also does a lot for self-esteem, does it not? Yeah. Yep. And it does a lot. Well, if you look at a lot of our learning, a lot of our most high impact learning is social. And it's about social and emotional support because we learn our best through when we try and fail and we don't know the answer. And that somebody's there to say, not no, but not yet. And, and pushing you towards getting to that higher level, which is exactly what it sounds like um, happens in Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. I think we need to bring that more back into the classroom if, it, if the classroom still exists. Maybe it becomes a studio or a lab. Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to ask. Some places are considering doing away with traditional schools and teaching children in their homes through computers. Is that something that may happen in the not-so-distant future? Yeah, I think it could. I think the thing that, that's left behind is we don't, I don't want to see more kids isolated with screens. Um, one, another study that came out recently is that the most isolated group right now, age group, is like 
15 to 24. It's not our seniors. And they're isolated because they're connected in a way they've never been connected before, but they're disconnected in a different way. And that isolation is equivalent to 15 cigarettes a day in terms of your health. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's not good oh. for us. Well, we are social creatures. <laughs> we are. Yeah. How, how will computer homeschooling impact the quality of education? Um, it depends on how it's done. As long as it's connected to also social learning. If it's just a kid who gets up every day and stares at a screen and is, doesn't have the social interactions and doesn't have the social development and doesn't have that social, emotional and support as they explore things. I think that's one of the things that's missing from the whole MOOCs, the massive online courses, massive open online courses, is that we don't have a companion social peer structure. So I think more people would be successful at MOOCs if they were combined with learning communities or meetups or something that would allow people to have that social support we desperately need. That's what a lot of the homeschoolers do is then they have homeschooling uh, group, socialization groups. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Traditionally, much of the education has involved memorizing dubious facts discovered by others in the past and applying the future events. What impact has this had on our ability to be innovative? I think we've suffered from it. Our, our rates of entrepreneurship are down. Um, half of the entrepreneurship that happens in, in the U.S. is by people who come in from other countries. I think that's a wonderful thing because people bringing in from other countries bring us diversity, different perspectives, new ideas. But the native population of the U.S. are, are entrepreneurship's on the decline. And entrepreneurship's just one indication of our ability to be imaginative and creative. So that's on the rise, you said? No, it's a, the native population, people who were born in the U.S., is on the decline. So mm. half, half of our Fortune, uh, I think it's Fortune 500 companies that are, that are startups were founded by first or second generation immigrants. That's amazing. Do you think that, um, you know, our, our tax structure and everything, it does not favor the entrepreneur. Do you think that's impacting as well? Um, I think it may be impacting. Whether it's impacting today, I, I think we, we ought to do is look at tomorrow. So if, 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 they th if what they say is true, and you know, most of the studies on, on freelance are done by organizations that support freelancing, so I'm always a little suspicious when, when they're, the, they're the supplier of it, but there's definitely been an increase in people who are working differently, whether they're working from home or they're working for multiple people and companies have become platforms. If we want to spur more entrepreneurship, we need to think about different social structures, because right now we have you're employed or you're unemployed, and you can only get support if you go from a state of being employed to a state of being unemployed, if you want to try to start a new venture and you fail, there's no support for you. And if we really want to see entrepreneurs survive, we have to think about different support systems. We also have compulsory education through high school. That's no longer sufficient. We don't have, in some states, we have free community college. I think we probably need that in every state. And we need new systems of learning so that people can come in and out of the workforce and you can retool. And part of that will be um, ways in which we can support entrepreneurship. Well, it's time for another short pause. Heather and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. From 
our broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. ABS Media. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing leading-edge information supporting the path to enlightenment. Don't miss all the wonderful things we have to offer on our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our special guest this hour is Heather McGowan. Her website, futureislearning.com. Heather, you were just speaking about the need for mandatory education to be not over <laughs> at the end of high school and how it needs to, to, to go, say, to community college level. Um, how feasible is that? 
I mean, to be paid for, right? Well, it's happening in a number of states already, and there's a push for it to happen nationwide. Um, I, th- I think that we have to recognize it. Well, one time it wasn't feasible to, to have compulsory education through high school, and then it became a necessity. It's a necessity now. It's If it's not a necessity now, it's going to be a necessity soon, and I think it's a necessity now. Why do you see it as a necessity? Because um, if you finish high school you're not equipped to do most of the jobs that would make a, a living wage in, this, in the United States. And the cost of higher education has become prohibitive for many. Yeah, that's the sad thing. It's, it's, um, and, and I don't, don't know that the value's there still at the lower levels, do you think? Uh, not necessarily. I think we're gonna see a consolidation of uh, higher ed institutions, particularly the ones that are sort of less selective and less known without an endowment. Um, the opportunity there is I've worked with some of those is those are the ones who feel the burning platform. Those are the ones who are trying new things. That's nice to know. What what sort of things have been tried? Um, if you look at a place like Southern New Hampshire University, I, I, di- I have not worked with them, but I, I mentioned them because I think they're really interesting. They're an organization that if you had looked at them probably 15 years ago, you would have predicted they would have been out of business in two or three years. They were a small school, declining enrollment, relatively rural. None of their programs were especially known or, or specialized. They had you know, almost no endowment. And a president went in and said, I want to rethink. I want to go all in in online education. I want to build online education in a way that, you know, this was 15, 15 or so years ago. And then once they got to scale, to a huge scale in online education, they said, you know, we're going to be disrupted, so I'm going to disrupt myself. And I'm going to develop a peer-to-peer online uh, associate's degree and then a bachelor's degree that will cost no more than $10,000. And you can pay by semester all you can eat. So if you can go through it in a semester, it may only cost you $2,500 to get your bachelor's degree. And it's all competency-based. So it isn't about how much time you spend, but it's how you can prove the things that you know. That really helps with the different learning styles because I'm I'm kinesthetic myself and I have to literally embody information. Once I do, like a steel trap, nothing gets in, nothing gets out. But until then, I struggle a bit. That this seems to accommodate all different levels of learning, like your visual or your audio, as well as your kinesthetic. Right, right, and I think we'll see more and more competency-based learning as opposed to how many hours you sat in a classroom. Um, I think that is one of the keys to the future. Competency-based learning doesn't work for everything, but I think it works for a lot of the uh, a lot of learning we need to do. There's another thing you said that absolutely fascinated me was disrupting yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, how key is that to where we need to go in the future with this? Absolutely key, because right now, if you look at um, companies that define themselves by what they do, so. I don't want to pick on Barnes & Noble. Let's say take Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble defined themselves as a bookseller, and then they had an online component. So they were a brick and mortar and then an online bookseller. They have not changed from being a bookseller. Around the same time, a company called Amazon started. Amazon has continued to diversify, explore, and learn. They're a learning company. They, uh, you couldn't imagine Barnes & Noble winning Academy Awards. You couldn't imagine Barnes & Noble going to space. You couldn't imagine Barnes & Noble investing in drones. But all of that seems so natural from Amazon because they're rooted in curiosity. They don't define themselves by what they do. They have to remind themselves on why they do it. It seems like Amazon is like this hybrid between the <clears throat> algorithms and innovation. Yeah, they're certainly leveraging the algorithms to, to, to be absolutely operationally efficient. 
but they're also using the data that they're collecting because everything they do is to learn more about you. It's not about selling you any one thing, but learning how you react to the thing that they've sold you. That's an interesting approach. That's thinking yeah. towards the future again, isn't it? How likely yeah. are you to come back? The best companies out there, the, the companies that will win are the companies that focus not on what they do, but how and why they do it, where everything they do is an opportunity to learn. So the unit of value they create is a byproduct to increasing their capabilities and their capacity. For several generations now, we've grown up being spoon-fed information and entertainment by the media rather than through interaction. How is that impacting our ability to be innovative now and in the future? Well, there's some dangerous aspects of that now. I mean, we were spoon-fed information when there were, you know, three TV channels and, you know, one hometown newspaper that, you know, gave us a, a, a common truth around which we could create different perspectives. I think one of the dangerous, this wasn't really the question you asked, but it's an important thing to discuss, so I bring it up. One of the dangerous things that's happening right now is with the social media platforms, it's hard to know what the truth is anymore. And we're all kind of isolated in these bubbles, and we can't talk to each other anymore. I think that's a, a really dangerous thing way we're interacting with information because it's hard to know what's true. I'm totally in agreement with you there. I have to look at everything really sideways that comes through on Facebook because there is no regulation and you don't know. How can we work beyond that? Um, I think that there are, there, are, there are organizations out there looking at ways of verifying things because I, if I look at something again, I, I, I've gone off Facebook because I think that we don't really understand all the things that happened with Cambridge Analytic and the ways that we've been uh, manipulated. But if you look at a, information that you find on Facebook, then you go on Snopes and say, you know, is that true? Um, so verification platforms that are going to help us find out what the truth is. For those of us who are interested in this, there's some of us who are so invested in a perspective that we, we feel that we don't want to feel like we've been duped, that we won't let it go. Yeah, that's interesting too, isn't it? That being um, uh, cemented into one reality and don't you dare, don't confuse me with the facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. So how can working in teams help us be more innovative? I think helping us in working in teams, uh, particularly diverse teams, so cognitively diverse with different learning styles, um, different ways of processing information, racially diverse, culturally diverse, gender diversity for sure. Um, will give us different perspectives on ways we look at things. You know, what we assume as being normal or true gets questioned when you have teams in diversity. If you're just answering the question yourself, you're you're just giving your own uh, your own truth, which was just one version of the truth. It would appear a person would need to be somewhat processed to participate fully in a group like that. Yep. I think that the, that is something that um, should be part of the learning process because it's not about your, it's never about your individual performance outside of school, which is artificial. We break subject matters down into subcomponents to, to codify and transfer them into new sets of humans. And then we get out into the world of work and it hasn't really been individual performance for quite a long time, but we don't prepare people for that explicitly anyway. So I know we've talked a little bit about it, but would you mind going a little further into what is disruptive innovation? Disruptive innovation is an innovation that that um, that challenges the existing norm. So whether it's uh, we used to get all our information from newspapers and then TV became a disruptive innovation and then the variety of TV channels and now the ability to stream anything disrupts 
how we get information and and then social media platforms is disrupting the truth. So disruptive innovation is any form of innovation that comes in and disrupts what is the what is the norm. So how can we use disruptive innovation within an existing structure like a school system or corporation without destroying the structure? Um, I don't know in the in the case of education, which I've looked at uh, quite a bit, in some in some cases I've looked at the organization, the corporate organization, we may have to just disrupt it and rebuild it, because the existing system may just not work. It may be working against us because if the existing system is pushing us towards defining ourselves around a job as opposed to um, finding our skills and matching them to to opportunities as they emerge or corporate organizations that are organized around the person at the top having the absolute uh, information. The reality is that when you when you used to become a boss in, in, in a company, you had usually managed all the seats you basically sat in. So when it came to make a decision, you had kind of the knowledge and expertise to do it. Now with the rate of change around, whether it be cybersecurity or data analytics, just for example, you may be managing people who have knowledge and experience that you don't have, so you have to think differently about how you organize and how you make decisions. So those are kind of some disruptions that should be happening in terms of how we organize people and processes that have, aren't across the board happening yet. It would occur to me that the system as it is um, keeps people invested and beholding to the company more firmly than what you're suggesting. Uh, in some instances, yeah, that's true. But the the way the company, the other problem is the company is not incentivized to reskill or retrain people. It's easier to lay off ten thousand people and hire eight thousand new ones than it is to look within those ten thousand people, people who already know your culture, people who already have a loyalty to you, people who have a lot of tacit knowledge that's hard to find outside the organization and figure out how do I move these people towards new skills. We don't have systems right now that incentivize that. So there's another place in our worlds where we need to go from um, a throwaway society to recycling. Yep. That would be a lovely thought, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but isn't that going to take a lot of um, infrastructure reorganizing because the motivation to hold your job is based around the not wanting to be surplused? Yes, exactly. And it's it's the organization. I think it's a policy. Part of it may be a policy change. I mean, organizations may come to the conclusion themselves that every time they shed a layer and acquire a new layer, it's a disruption through the whole organization because you got everybody who's left saying, am I next? And then the behaviors that go with protecting yourself to make sure you're next, which are not always productive. And then you've got the, the loss of those people and then the onboarding and, and getting up to speed of the new people that come in. Right. We're going to... We're going to have to pick up with this on the other side of a commercial break. Heather and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 
500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought provoking tell all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. The concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the new age? Is it a religion? A collection of obscure esoteric practices? A series of doomsday predictions? Or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complimentary publication bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chucked full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and suggest a topic or guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Heather McGowan. Her website, futureislearning.com. Heather, we were just going into what, what structures need to change within a corporate system to um, implement the new way of being. Yes, we were just talking about how we do, we need policy changes to incentivize people to retain employees, whether they be employees or workers, engaged individuals within the entity so that they're not in this constant cycle of shedding and hiring skills, which soon will become really difficult because the skills are, are ones that are emerging. So emerging skills versus ones that we've picked up over time? Yeah, I mean, if you look at something like as, as recently as like a social media manager, we didn't have a curriculum for that. So we couldn't hire people who were experienced in that. We had to find people who were, who were experimenting with that and let them come in and develop their skill set as part of their work. And I could see that happening more and more as the speed of change starts happening so quickly. We don't have that sort of 
what was typically a decade from the time the market said it needed sort of new skills to the time we could develop the curriculum and then put people through it. So more of a tutoring as you go kind of thing. Yeah, kind of yeah. omni learning. <laughs> what companies are leading the change uh, charge into the future of work? Well, it's interesting. About uh, if you look back over the last hundred years, the the five companies that were were valued the highest in terms of market capitalization. capitalization. So that's us saying these companies are the most valuable in the future. Five years ago, I mean, sorry, a hundred years ago, it was all steel companies and oil companies and meat processing companies because our we the way we created value was you extracted value from natural assets. And if you look about 50 years ago, as it you know the kind of we were coming out of the uh, second into the third industrial revolution, you look at companies that were scalable production of man-made assets. So all of our consumerism. And now, if you look at the five biggest companies right now in terms of market capitalization, it's Amazon, Alphabet, which owns Google, Apple, those kinds of Microsoft, those kind of companies that are, as I said before about Amazon, they're in the constantly learning. So they they create digital assets, but they learn from doing it, and they and they redeploy them. So they're they're sort of the moonshot companies, and I think the more of us can, can get on the board, get on board with the idea that the future of work is learning, the more of us will will be successful. What's the role of culture in a company? It's essential. Um, I think that um, really, if you boil a company down, especially in this future scenario that I talk about, it's really nothing more than culture and capacity. The culture is the operating system of the company. It's why it exists, how the world looks differently because it exists, and then will it, what will and won't it do to achieve its vision and mission? And then its capacity is 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 made up of its capabilities, which it's always trying to build upon. So how do we take how we operate our operating system, and then if you think about it like a phone and our applications, what new applications do we need to add in terms of responding to market need or responding ahead of market need. This is very different than a company that defines itself by the products they produce because those things are now byproducts. And I think with so much more uh, attention on, we have to change the way we're living because we can't continue with the consumerism and surplus and all that stuff. I Do you think there'll be support for this from the people or resistance? Um, I think if we can make it... Uh, where it's a natural part of how we live and it's so obvious. Um, I think though the rise of things, like I'm not sure it's the right word, but the collaborative economy where we, we have access over ownership. So we may not all need to own a car or all need to own a vacation home or all need to own you know Legos because you can subscribe to something where you get a new batch of Legos every week and they, those Legos circulate. I think some of those things that, that value access over ownership, they make sense. Uh, and, and they're actually a, a delight to be a part of. If you've ever, you know, traveled in Airbnb and lived in somebody else's home and lived in their culture, it's quite different than going to a hotel. Oh, quite different. And the learning, mm -hmm. speaking of learning, is exponentially larger. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do you see as the largest blocks to innovative change? Um, that our own, the limits of our own imagination. So, we have had for the past 50 years, the people who really built this company, this country, I'm sorry, um, did so because they did what they were told. And there's a certain amount of human behavior that's comfortable being told what to do. And when you take away that, here's what you have to do, here's your job, here's your, you know, here's your little box and maze with cheese at the end, and the cheese is moving. And you have to think differently about how you move through 
that maze, which now may be three-dimensional, and that what's driving you through the maze is, is, is your own intrinsic motivation. Uh, Marina Gorbis from the Institute of the Future Work says that, you know, as we close the digital divide, the next divide that's going to open is the motivational divide. And I think the best way to solve that motivational divide is to help people tap into their, their purpose and their passion, which is their own personal culture. So if an organization defines its culture first instead of by what they make and what they sell, and the individual really identifies themselves around the purpose and passion, you, when you find alignment between those two things, we can reimagine a, f a future that may be more even, human, even more human fulfilling, more, more fulfilling as humans. I see a fly in this ointment, however. So many of us have been brought up on, on, on very large doses of guilt. And if we're dancing around trying to avoid being guilty, it's very important not to be innovative because then it can be your fault. How can we work around that? I'm not sure what you mean by guilt. Um, people, there's a, there's a, you know, we're controlled by guilt a lot, particularly in different religions and this and that. And uh, what I've seen it uh, create is a reluctance to take initiative because then if it goes wrong, it'll be your fault. Oh, that in general, I think we need to change that because I, I think that failure is our greatest source of learning. Failure is also our greatest source of innovation. So celebrating failures. I was uh, I gave a, a, a keynote at the World Bank uh, about a month ago, and I was sitting afterwards, I had lunch, and I was sitting next to one of the people who's in charge of learning, and she told me as one of their culture changers that her boss actually gave her an award for her biggest failure. They want to celebrate the fact that she tried it didn't work, but she tried, and they all admitted it wasn't working rather than trying to pretend it was working, and they celebrated the failure. And that, I think that kind thought. of thing might be, might, be, might be just great. I think it's a beautiful thought. I think it's a beautiful thought. In circular learning, you push to the point of failure, but then you return to the uh, uh, beginning rather than at the point of failure. Um, and it's, it's, I think circular learning is partially what you're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't know that term before, but yes, it does sound very much like what I'm talking about. What skills will be needed in the future that are not being taught now? Well, it's it's not, people always ask that question about skills, like what should my kid major in and what sort of things should they pursue? It's the thing that interests you most. We all have uniquely human abilities, whether it's creativity or collaboration, empathy, social emotional intelligence. We all have our, so being our best self is developing those uniquely human skills in ourselves as opposed to saying, you need to be good at math, or you need to be a computer scientist, or, or these things that come from the outside around market need. I think that rising technical capability can do so much. You know, there's some that speculate it's 50 to 70% of the work we do today could be achieved by computer uh, technologies in the next 20 or 30 years. Now, new things will emerge, but the human works best when they see that that piece of technology is just a tool, and the tool needs a human. So the skills of the future are whatever you feel uh, that you're the best at and the things that, um, that, are, that are uniquely human, that are difficult to, to uh, automate. I, I love something you said. We're getting close to the end of our time. It's hard to believe. But I, I love something that you said. And basically, to boil it down, it was like instead of aligning with a job, we're aligning with a purpose and then doing with what our skill set can do to achieve that purpose uh, and, as a group. Did I sum that up? And how can we, how can we move towards that? Yeah, you did sum that up. And then if you look at that and say, okay, well, I'm not good at, like, I'm, I'm terrible at directions. Well, GPS has come along. I don't have to be good at that anymore. So where can you find technologies that can augment where you have weaknesses or where you struggle or where you may not want to do something? 
Um, so I think that we could look at this technology to really unleash the potential of humanity by you focus on your purpose, your passion, the things you're good at, the things you like, and then working with technology. At the end of the day, it's it's not a hand tool that, or, or the wheel, but it really is just a tool. It's a tool. That's it. Tools need humans. It sounds like the... <laughs> Um, you're also pointing out the, that we each have our skill set, but we become like a, a piece in a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, without each piece, the puzzle isn't complete. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, I think we all have a role to play. Um, I don't know that it's as neat as a jigsaw puzzle. It may be a three-dimensional sphere of some sort, but we all have a role to play. We all have a purpose, and there's a, there's a place for all of us. So the whole kind of idea that people have that we should just give people universal basic income and let them sit home and watch TV and let the robots do everything is really missing the point that I think humans need purpose and they need to be productive and they need to feel that they have a contribution, whether money's involved or not. But I mean, we live in a capital society, so money has to be involved. But um, yeah, I think that we, we need that. Yeah, if we don't live our purpose, why be here? Hmm? Right. Right. Yeah, it's just amazing. Well, Heather, I can't thank you enough for, for the innovative ideas and thoughts that you're bringing to the world. And again, uh, the name of your book is? Uh, Disrupt Together, How Teams Consistently Innovate. And you can find more information about me at both the future is, uh, future is not, the www.futureislearning.com or heathermcgowan.net. It's M-C-G-O-W-A-N.net. Heather, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Guest, it has been a delight. Our guest this hour has been Heather McGowan. She's an innovative strategist, an internationally known speaker, thought leader, and as she said, author of How Teams Co- um, Disrupt Together, How Teams Consistently Innovate. Her website, futureislearning.com. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? 
we can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.